Uh, this is Joey Brand, and welcome to episode 40 of the Axiom Podcast. We're continuing our series going through the book that I wrote last year called Grow With Purpose. And this week we're going to talk about customers come second. Uh, this is chapter four in the book. So we'll go through the book and I'll come back at the end and we'll talk about it a little bit. Chapter four, customers come second. Bernard was a demanding client and he loved titles and accreditations. Each time we met, his business card always seemed to have a few more letters after his name. While I didn't look forward to our meetings the way I did with some other clients, it wasn't an unpleasant experience, and the pay was good. Bernard always paid on time, and he appreciated the work. But one day, I heard some of our team members talking about Bernard. Specifically, they were recounting how he had spoken to someone on our team. Bernard had been demeaning, disrespectful, patronizing, and rude. I was surprised, but not exactly shocked. I had met people before who would treat the business owner one way while treating everyone else like dirt. You see this a lot in restaurants where the server is treated like a second-class citizen, but when the restaurant owner stops by the table, everything changes. I asked the team if I should fire Bernard as a client. They said no, he was too big of a client. I told them, forget about how big he is. Should we let people treat you this way? That afternoon, I called Bernard and told him we could no longer do his work. I did it diplomatically, but unequivocally. He was surprised, but it was my team that was truly shocked. That simple act of putting our team first and the customer second on that day did a lot to enhance our culture. The four main pillars to leading a great team. Leading your team comes down to focusing on four main principles. Fulfillment, honesty, transparency, and maintaining a loose grip. Fulfillment. Fulfillment is making sure that every team member is spending the majority of their time in their highest and best use. Highest and best use is a key standard that should apply to everyone in the company. It means identifying what each employee does best and evaluating whether their current role allows them to spend a significant amount of time in that sweet spot. If the answer is yes, Fulfillment demands that we raise the bar even higher so that employees are challenged to continually improve. Just spending time in your sweet spot is not enough. Either your competency within that sweet spot needs to deepen or your sweet spot circle needs to widen. Highest and best use addresses fulfillment because it is primarily concerned with the interests of the employee rather than the employer. We want the talents and abilities of our team members to be put to use. It means a lot to the long-term success of the business, but it also means a great deal to the short-term, day-to-day fulfillment experienced by the employee. Taking a highest and best use approach does have its pitfalls. Often you will find that people are not in their highest and best use. What then? If the business is big enough, it may be possible to find a different seat on the bus. There might be another position that is better suited to the employee. But smaller businesses must face the reality that without an endless supply of seats on the bus, team members who are not engaged in their highest and best use may need to get off the bus. The struggle here is helping business owners understand that you aren't doing the employee any favors by letting them stay on your bus if there isn't a seat where they can experience fulfillment. You may think it's cruel to ask someone to step off the bus, but it's far more sinister to allow that person to waste years of their life doing something they aren't good at, will never master, and that does not add richness and fulfillment to their work experience. 
Step one is evaluating your individual team member's performance. To do this, business owners and managers must not think about how they will survive without a particular team member. Instead, they must assume that an A player could step into that seat in the next 30 days. Here's why. Business owners often fall prey to believing that any person in the seat is better than an empty seat. If that is your standard, you are passively choosing not to grow your business. Instead, you need to understand that while there might be some short-term inconvenience, you will be able to fill that seat with an A player. So evaluate performance against an A player standard and be honest about whether someone is in their highest and best use. If someone isn't meeting an A player standard, step two is deciding whether there is another seat on the bus for them. Here, you must evaluate the needs of the business first. Too often, I see business owners trying to create a seat out of thin air so that they can avoid step three. Don't do that. By creating a position your company doesn't need, you are only delaying the inevitable, and you are doing more harm than good to your employee's career. If there is another seat, move the person into it and hold them accountable to be an A player. Step three is taking responsibility for the process of moving someone off the bus if there isn't an available seat. As discussed earlier, responsibility is different from fault. It might not be your fault that someone isn't at their highest and best use, but it is your responsibility. Get busy, tap your network, and help them find a place to land where they can start experiencing fulfillment and intrinsic value in their work. It should be said that all of this is predicated on the assumption that you are dealing with team members who share your values. You should be willing to move heaven and earth to help these people land on their feet if there isn't a place for them in your business. But those team members who are not a culture fit should be moved off the bus long before you start asking any questions about highest and best use. Honesty. A lot of business owners pride themselves on being able to give their people honest feedback, which to them describes their ability to tell their team members things they don't want to hear. By calling it feedback, they also give themselves permission to be completely oblivious to what the other person is feeling during the process. Naturally, a lot of employees hear the words honest feedback and cringe because honest feedback is criticism wearing a professional mask. Employees don't want your honest feedback. They want your help. When I talk about honesty, I am talking primarily about creating an environment where you allow your employees to be honest with you about what they need to be successful. With our clients, I try to make things as simple to execute as possible, and this particular idea could not be simpler. How often do you ask your employees, what do you need from me to be successful? The frequency with which that question is asked and answered will determine the extent to which you create an environment where employees feel comfortable communicating their needs with frank honesty. It also determines how involved your employees are in your company's growth. If you ask it once a year, your employees will be involved in the bigger picture planning and goal setting that happens on a once a year basis. If you ask it once a quarter, they will be involved in the setting of priorities that contribute to annual goals. If you ask it once a month, they will help you hit monthly metrics and targets that keep you on pace with priorities and goals. If you ask it once a week, 
They will be successfully executing the plans and driving the actions that result in growth rates seen in the top 10% of companies. If you ask it daily, they will be successful setting their individual priorities and will stay focused on their highest and best use. More importantly, you will be able to give them the things they need not only to succeed, but to experience fulfillment. Asking this question daily is a tall order. It is a commitment that most business owners will not make toward the growth of their business. But asking weekly is table stakes for building a team whose members can be honest with each other. Every week, you should ask your direct reports, what do you need from me this week? Some leaders push back on this one-sided asking, well, what are they going to do for me? What about their responsibilities to the business? Asking what your employees need opens the door for accountability. If the business owner is willing to be held accountable to deliver on the employee's request for help, the employee is also signing up to be held accountable to deliver on their end of the bargain. The key to understanding accountability is to recognize that it is voluntary. If I want you to hold me accountable, I must voluntarily choose to be honest with you about whether or not I've done my part, what is getting in my way, and where I failed, misunderstood, underestimated, overshot, wrongly assumed, and procrastinated. Because if I choose not to be held accountable, it is easy to lie, mislead, fudge the numbers, create plausible excuses, distract, misinform, and skirt the real issues. By leading with the sincere question, what do you need from me? The business owner is extending the invitation for honest communication that enables the employee to respond by volunteering to be held accountable. If the business owner doesn't deliver for the employee, or if the employee doesn't deliver for the business owner, each understands that they can expect to be called out. That is accountability. And it doesn't have to be a confrontational or stressful exercise. Someone didn't follow through on their promise. Just talk about it and how to fix it. Honest communication is the basis for accountability. It's also the basis for great relationships. Why shouldn't business owners and employees have both? Transparency. Transparency doesn't mean opening up every detail of your financial or personal life to every team member. All good leaders should be models of discretion, recognizing what information is appropriate to share and with whom. But while discretion is admirable, secrecy undermines leadership. If there are areas of your business you don't want anyone to know about, that is a red flag for your leadership. Below is a short list to consider. Are your employees paid market rates? One of the first things we ask for when working with a new client is an organization chart that includes compensation information for every position. And what we find is that there are almost always individuals in the company who are wildly undercompensated. Eventually, it will come to light that you are taking advantage of these team members. Not only will the revelation damage your leadership and credibility, it will probably leave you with a vacancy to fill. If you are embarrassed to have others find out what individuals are being paid, you lack the transparency that enables top performance. And you should stop kidding yourself. Your employees know a lot more than you think they do. We often find that everyone is aware of these payroll secrets anyway. Are you stepping out of your comfort zone and sharing financial information with your team? One of my favorite books is Jack Stack's The Great Game of Business. 
Open book management is one of the best ways to engage your team, but it does take time. Start by sharing sales numbers and asking your team to take part in goal setting around revenue. Then move on to gross profit and bring them into discussions about how to improve on industry averages. Finally, address areas of overhead that they can influence. Most owners are scared to share financial information because they think it feeds the perception that the owner is getting rich. That perception already exists, even if the company is break-even. You are better off trusting your team and asking for their help with the numbers. Do your employees know your vision? We started this book by discussing the role and importance of vision, yet it is incredibly common for business owners to keep their vision to themselves. Some do it because they are embarrassed to share their biggest hopes and dreams. They fear criticism or the potential to be judged as failures if they don't make it. Some have a vision that is all about themselves, and they rightly understand that sharing it won't increase morale. Some don't want to be held accountable to a vision. They would rather have the freedom to put the vision aside on days when they're not quite feeling it. But being transparent and sharing your vision is the only way you're going to enlist the best efforts of those who will help you get there. Are your employees constantly surprised and not in a good way? Transparency means sharing information as soon as it is feasible to do so. I've seen business owners forget to mention the opening of a new location. It is not uncommon for people to find out the company was interviewing for a new general manager only after they see a nameplate going up on an office door. Salespeople don't know that the company set a new sales record last month. Employees read about lawsuits against the company in the newspaper. Coworkers find out someone was let go only after asking why they haven't been at work for several days. These are all examples of a lack of transparency that leaves your people reeling and wondering if you really care about them. Don't take for granted the effect that sharing news has on your team. They want to know, and you need to make the effort to tell them. Maintaining a loose grip on your employees. There is a realization that you must come to as a business owner. Most really good team members are going to grow personally and professionally faster than your company's ability to provide highest and best use opportunities for them. This means that the majority of the bright rising stars in your company will be with you for a time and then will need to move on. If you care about them, you will embrace this truth. Leaders who maintain a loose grip take the time to find out what drives their employees' motivations, what they aspire to, how they grew up, and what their family expects of them, where they want to live 10 years from now, how their career is affecting or will affect their spouse and children, what books they read, where they go to church, why they go to church, what they view as their biggest weaknesses, and what keeps them up at night. This sounds like a tall order, but it's not. It is literally one or two intentional conversations laid on a foundation of fulfillment, honesty, and transparency. The best leaders build this foundation not to make the most profits, but to expand their mission. What better way to expand your influence than to train and equip the best A players, enjoy the fruits of their labor for a time, and then send them off to do great things elsewhere? It is truly a small world, and these leaders know that in some way, shape, or form, they will always be connected to the extraordinary results their A players achieve, whether or not those A players are still on the payroll.
The Dead Sea is a good analogy for this loose grip approach. The Dead Sea is a giant lake in the Middle East that has no outlet. The Jordan River flows in, but nothing flows out. The result is a chemical composition in the water that ensures nothing can live there. No fish, no birds, nothing. You cannot drink the water. You cannot use it for irrigation. It's called dead for a reason. Businesses must encourage their best performers to move on when their opportunities run out. Otherwise, they risk becoming dead zones, avoided by the A players, and left to mediocre performance by people who don't aspire to personal or professional growth. The day I fired my client Bernard was the day I realized that my customers had to come second. I started to share a lot more financial information with team members. We implemented daily huddles where I asked, what do you need from me today? I started having intentional conversations with team members about what they aspired to and how Axiom fit into the bigger picture of their lives and aspirations. And I started to encourage some of them to pursue bigger and more promising opportunities. To this day, I tell my teammates, I want you to stay here forever, but that's probably not going to happen. I'll give you 100% and you do the same. Eventually, if we need to go our separate ways, I'll move heaven and earth to help you in any way I can. I've never been disappointed in their response. So there you have it. Customers come second. Uh, When I do public speaking engagements... I'll often uh, write on the whiteboard, you know, or, or put a slide up that says customers come and then there's a blank. And it's interesting to note like how many people will say customers come first. And it's just that thing that's been drilled into our head. And I know why it's there. I mean, it, it's there so that your frontline employees are super focused on the people who are in front of them. Um, the problem is if we're preaching that mantra to the leader, it sends the wrong message. Like it's very important that your frontline employees understand the customer comes first, but they will never do that unless somebody has put them first, and it just makes sense. So it's it's funny to me how customers come first, or the customer is always right, has been taken up as this mantra by leadership, which just naturally means that everybody between leadership and the customer doesn't matter, or they have a second priority which is like the antithesis of leadership. You know, if you could imagine, imagine a leader getting up there. Imagine, a, uh, imagine um, I don't know, let's imagine a football, a football coach, right? So he's the leader of the football team. And he says, the fans come first, right? We're, gonna do every, we're doing everything for the fans. My job here is to make the fans happy. And that's not the case. The coach's job is to make sure that the players have everything that they need to go out and win the games. And the fans, the fans being happy is a byproduct of the players having what they need and performing to their best ability. So it, it, it's frustrating sometimes. It, gets, it kind of gets me amped up when I hear or when I see. It's actually worse when you see this, when you see leaders throwing their people under the bus in front of a customer, and it, and it happens a lot. I mean, if you, a lot of times like these small businesses, the owners are still operators. Any like $20, $30 million business, the owner's the one who is going to be handling some of the key accounts and will certainly get pulled into the conversation if there's an issue with a key account. And, and I, I see it happen all the time where 
they just they essentially throw their people under the bus. And it sends the wrong message to the customer, uh, but it also sends a terrible message to the employees. So why why is this why does this I guess what are some of the practical implications of this or what are some of the the reasons that that I think you will do well to put your customer second and your employees first. And one of the first ones is like, it's just the practical aspect of these are the people you spend the most time with. When I think about Devin and Carrie that I get to work with every day, one of the the great joys is being able to spend a lot of time with these guys. And we do. We're, we're, Devin and I are around each other physically a lot. Uh, We share, you know, we're in the same office building and, and we're in a lot of appointments together. And we're going a lot of places together, and there's just a lot of there's a lot of opportunities to spend time with them. And Carrie is part of that mix too, and we're constantly communicating with her. She's virtual, um, but we're always in Slack, and we're sending messages back and forth, and we're on video conferences together. And I spend a ton of time with these people. So when you think about how much time do you spend with your employees and coworkers versus how much time you spend with an individual customer. It's minuscule. I mean, I'm going to see a I'm going to see a customer, maybe a couple hours a week, typically at most. Uh, I'm going to spend forty hours a week working with my colleagues. So, you know, putting them first is, in some ways, just a matter of prioritizing my time, recognizing where my time is spent, and where where my priorities are best served, given how much time I'm spending with these folks. Another thing is that when you talk about uh, scaling a business, this is really the only way to do it. Uh, if if your attitude is customers come first, how are you going to maintain uh, a growing customer base when you're you as the business owner are always having to put them first? The reality is the only way that you can scale a business is to focus on the people that are directly reporting to you, and train them to focus on the people who are directly reporting to them and so on and so forth. And eventually you get to those frontline employees and it's a consistent message because you're training the frontline employees to focus on the people who are directly interacting with them, and that's the customer. So as we talk about scaling a business, it's, it's crazy to think I'm going to maintain this mentality that my customers come first and today I've got 1,000 customers and tomorrow I'm going to have 5,000 customers and, and I'm going to be able to prioritize the demands of those 5,000 and keep those top of mind and do the things every week that I need to execute so that those 5,000 customers are, are taken care of. Much better to say, we're 1,000 customers today. I have four people that, that I'm responsible to who then have other responsibilities in the business. I got to make sure that those four people have everything that they need. And that kind of scaling is it, it's infinite. You can continue to, to grow and grow and grow. The bottlenecks will be in other places than your management capacity if you're focused on those four or five people that report to you. The other thing is that I, I sometimes think that there's a mentality of, of leaders that they have to be the customer advocate, like they have to be the customer voice. And and they will acknowledge, yes, I know, I know, I know. I know that my managers, I know that my middle managers need to be putting their people first. And I trust that they're doing that. It's my role to be the voice of the customer in all these situations. And so that's why I put customers first, but I expect everybody else to put their team members first. 
and it doesn't work in in practice because the the people who are reporting to you they're going to follow leadership so it's impossible for you to say do as I say, not as I do. They're going to look at what you're doing and they're going to emulate you. And if you're constantly throwing people under the bus because the customer's always right, they're going to do the same. And the message won't flow down from the top without some consistency. So if if you put customers first, expect your leaders to put first. There's no bright line you can draw and say, at this point, we're going to start treating the employees as the top priority. And finally... And there's just this um, this issue of retention. And if you are constantly rotating, it, it doesn't matter what position in the company it is. I mean, there are some industries that are very low retention, you know, like manual labor, low-skilled jobs. Uh, people may stay with you for a season and then move on to the next opportunity. But even in those cases, having to retrain those people and having to get them uh, comfortable, you know, interacting with customers, get them comfortable with workflows. It's an expensive proposition in terms of training, not because you're having to go out and pay a trainer, but because the hours that they're spending initially are not as productive as the hours that you want them to be spending, you know, and they get spun up and they're fully trained. When you get beyond the low-skill positions and you get into, say, managerial roles or customer service roles, the the cost of that turnover is extraordinary. When you get to like account management positions where these people have developed relationships with customers or sales positions, the cost is astronomical. You cannot afford, if you're going to grow a business, you cannot afford to lose your, your people. You need to do a good job of retaining them. And the only way to do that is, you know, follow the principles in the chapter of making sure that they're fulfilled, they, that they have what they need. And that's just a daily practice of putting them first. So I think there's a lot uh, that we can do as business owners to, to put people first. I was struck, just I'll just be honest, like reading that chapter, recording that chapter, I was struck by how, how I don't ask that question every day. And it was convicting because I was thinking, you know, I, I, sh- I should be asking this every day. I think if I'm lucky, I'm asking it once a week. And I'm just being fully transparent. Um, I've got a long ways to go in terms of always putting my customers second. I think about my customers a lot. I think about our clients and especially brand new clients. We're just building these relationships and we're trying to get in a groove and we're trying to make sure that they're making progress and we're trying to make sure that their people are engaged. And I'm convicted in that I probably don't think about my team members uh, as as intensely as I think about my customers, and that's not good. Uh, you know, it, it it's basically uh, letting me know that I can only expect to grow so much until I start asking that fundamental question every day: What is it that you need from me to be successful? So I hope this was helpful for you. Next week, we'll get into chapter five. We've got six chapters left. There's 10 chapters in the book. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week.